My name is Danny Forshee. I'm the lead pastor at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I am so thrilled that you're here today on this cooler July Sunday morning. You know, the high is only 87. Folks, that's reason to give praise and to be excited. Only, only 87. Uh, let, me, let me also give a shout out to some folks that are here today. I understand that Chad and Cindy Tilly are here. Could y'all raise your hands in the air? Let me just rec... God bless you guys. Uh, can we just give them a warm welcome? I'll tell you who they are in just a minute. So thrilled they're here. Chad is a, uh, is a, can I just say what you do without elaborating? Okay, he's a missionary pilot is what he, is what he does. And so he, uh, about the year 2000, he flew me out. I forgot where we started, but I think we landed in a Sudanese camp, refugee camp. And uh, I was in good hands uh, with him. And so Chad and Cindy, we love y'all. We're so proud of you guys and what you're doing. And uh, y'all are our heroes. And so we're just delighted that they are here today. Isn't it exciting to have a missionary pilot in your church today? So God bless you, Chad. We're thrilled that you're here today. So let, let, me, let me just jump right on into our, our, our text today. In fact, we have four texts that we want to look at. If you are a first-time guest, I want to just bring you up to speed as to kind of where we are in this study. Uh, on Sunday mornings here at Great Hills, we're looking at the life of Christ and the way He engaged people in the New Testament. So really, it's a biographical study of the life of Jesus, how He pursued the one. Now, the one for Jesus would be a multitude of people, individuals one-on-one -on -one that He would meet, He would share with, He would encourage, sometimes He would rebuke, many times He would train, oftentimes He would save, sometimes He would heal. So as we look at the New Testament, we have this template, we have this beautiful model of how God would have us live our lives, and the way we know that is because Jesus Christ personified the kind of kingdom living that He wants all of His followers to also live. So, I've enjoyed this study so much, and I, I know I keep bragging on you a lot, but I've got to brag on you some more, church. You continue to send me so many amazing stories and you're calling them the For the One story. And I just tell you, I absolutely love it. And thank you. Please keep sending those cards and letters. They encourage me and emails. They encourages me greatly to hear how God is so sensitizing you to the people around you. Now, sometimes those people, you know, you have to look a little harder because if you're anything like me, you can meet someone and then a few minutes later go, oh, wait a minute, that could have been my one. I should have talked to her. Or I should have uh, asked some questions of how he was doing. And so I'm like, oh, Lord, please forgive me and help me do better the next time. Anybody relate to that? Can anybody? Okay, good, good. I just want to make sure I'm not alone. But then there are times where, oh, my land is so conspicuous. I mean, it's so obvious. It's frontal. It's right in your presence where you go. And it's almost like God's in heaven saying, this is the one. Talk to him. Talk to her. And it's like, okay, I got it. I'm not going to miss this one. And that happened to us Sunday night just a couple of weeks ago. And I want to tell you the story of Tom and Linda, but if they're here, I would love to recognize them. Tom and Linda, are y'all here today before I start talking about you? Okay, good. I'll talk about you. So I'll ask for forgiveness instead of permission. But Tom and Linda, it's really a sweet story. They're from Los Angeles. They're moving to Austin, Texas two weeks ago. After Bryant's ordination, we had a sweet time of ordaining our middle son. Um, Chad is amazing. He's awesome. We got to ordain Bryant right here. He's up in Plano as a, as a pastor, a student pastor up there. 
So afterward, there are about 20 of us, mostly our family and, and Bryant and his girlfriend and their family. And we went to Outback and we were all having a good time until my brother came into the restaurant and said, there's a lady out here very distraught. And um, they've been robbed. They've been broken into. And I was like, oh my word. So we go out there and sure enough, Linda is just devastated. Somebody had broken into their truck as they're on their way to move to Austin from Los Angeles and they stole everything that was of value. I mean, they took their, their phones, they took their, her purse, they took his keyboards, he's a, he's a jazz musician, and they were just, I mean, just devastated. So I walked up to her and I had my little cards. Said, Guys, don't miss out on those business cards. I mean, there's, there's little bitty cards and God uses those tremendously. And so I reached out to Linda, I said, here's my card, I'm pastor of a church right down the road, what can we do to help you? And she goes, and I wasn't expecting what was coming out next. She said, we are born again Christians. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. And tears just kept pouring down her face. And she goes, we, we, nothing like this ever happened to us in Los Angeles, but it did here. I said, I'm so sorry. This is not our city. I said, our city is not like that at all. I'm so sorry. And what can we do to help you? Let me pray with you. So we were praying for her and encouraging her. Then the group of us, about 20 of us, we took up an, a love offering and gave them a few hundred dollars to bless them and encourage them. And the next day, she writes me the most beautiful email thanking me, thanking our church. And I just got this little hunch that if she is in, if they move to the greater Austin area and she is within a hundred miles, I think this will probably be her church. You know, you know what I'm saying? For the one, for the one, who are the ones that God places in your path, whether it's very conspicuous, very obvious, or maybe a little less conspicuous, a little less obvious, but your spiritual antennas are up. And as you're walking in the Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ is just living His life through you, you're being a kingdom citizen here on earth, who are the ones that God will lead you to this week? Well, I want to talk about the one Philip today. Philip is a Greek name. It means a lover of horses. And Philip was one of the original 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. When you study the life of Philip, you don't really learn much about him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. But when you go to the Gospel of John, John records pretty much all that we know, biblically speaking, about the life of Philip, the lover of horses. We do know he's from Bethsaida, which is a town, a community just on the shores there of the Sea of Galilee. We also know that as I said earlier, he is one of the first that is chosen by Christ to be one of the original apostles. But when you read a little bit uh, after the biblical accounts, when you read, for example, John Fox's Book of Martyrs, you learn more about this man named Philip. Philip went on to evangelize Gaul, G-A-U-L, which today is modern-day France. He was a missionary that went to Gaul. He ended up in western Turkey, and it was there in Hierapolis that he was stoned, first of all, and then he was taken and he was crucified, even as our Lord was crucified. And by the way, all the apostles, except John, died these violent and martyred deaths, and Philip was no exception. And so today, we're going to look at the life of Philip, and as we study his life, I hope that it will be an an exercise in education and that you will learn many things, maybe things that you did not know prior to coming today. But more than anything, I pray that as we engage these sacred texts, and by the way, there are four of these texts, and as we look at these texts and these encounters that Jesus had with Philip, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would just come and, and He would teach you and He would speak to you and He would say things like, as you leave Great Hills, 
And as you go out into the marketplace of life in Austin, Texas, and wherever I may lead you, that you would be very sensitive to the people that I bring in your path because you never know, there may be another Philip right before you. Now, Philip's pretty raw. G. Campbell Morgan, in his book, The Great Physician, he goes so far basically to say Philip wasn't very smart. And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to go that far, but he's just saying of all the apostles, he's probably the guy with the least IQ. Now you're like, why would G. Campbell Morgan say that about Philip? And as I read these texts, you, you might pick up on that, but I'm, I'm not going to go so far. I may, I may go so far to say his acumen or his intellectual abilities may not be that, like that of an apostle John, but really who was? John was a mystic. John was a thinker. John was a philosopher. Read his prologue. In John chapter 1, 1 through 14, John was this gifted, prodigious mind. And, and Philip's more like, I guess he's more like me. He's just a kind of a, a common sense, raise, raise your hand, ask the question, miss it the first time, completely miss it on the mundane level, miss what Jesus is trying to tell him, and so Jesus has to tell him a second time. Hey, by the way, aren't you glad God's patient with us? <laughs> aren't you glad God just doesn't say, you nitwit, let me just go get somebody else. No, God gently works with Philip, and so much so that he creates this masterpiece that here we're reading about him 2,000 years later. So John chapter 1, we meet him. And I want to read the text for you and just share a little bit of insight with you. And then at the end of our study in these texts, we're going to look at some practical points of application. So let's go ahead and put the text on. Then following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Not Philip found him. He's not an Andrew, he's not an Apostle John, where they go seeking, where Jesus goes, what do you seek? And they're like, we're seeking you. You don't read that about Philip. Jesus found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, whoa, we have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, <laughs> Can anything good really come out of Nazareth? Now, what Philip does next is Philip does not give this apologetic, he does not give this eloquent reply. And that's why G. Campbell Morgan says, Well, he just, you know, he just wasn't the, the smartest or the sharpest knife in the drawer. All right, so he should have just given this debate or this argument about who Jesus is. But all Philip could do was be—he just said, well, "Come on, just come see for yourself." And I like that. I mean, we don't have to be the most intelligent person in the room to be a vivacious, effective witness for Jesus Christ. In fact, some of the best things we can do sometimes is, really, I don't know the answer to your question, but I invite you to read the Bible and seek it out for yourself. That's Jesus' calling him. And Jesus calls people of all stripes and types and colors. We're going to look at that more in a moment, but right now I'm just kind of warming you up, introducing you to this man named Philip. Here's the next text, John 6, 5 and 7. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip. <laughs> and, and this is really interesting because you're going to think, well, when Jesus was picking on Philip, no. Jesus was teaching Philip. He was helping Philip. Because Jesus is going to ask him a rhetorical question where Jesus just wants him to think. He wants him to think above the, the empirical 
mundane, literal level. And Philip will fail, okay? Philip will miss it, but Jesus will take this as a pedagogy moment. He will take this as a teaching moment to help Philip so that in the future, when Philip is surrounded with difficulty and impossible situations, instead of looking just at the mundane and just looking at the empirical data and just looking at going, this is absolutely impossible, Philip will say, wait a minute, I've been here before. I will lift up my eyes and I will see that God is bigger than my situation. So he says, um, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now the context is the 5,000 men. The same story that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And 5,000 men, let's go ahead and say there's ladies and children, probably about 20,000 people that are there. And Jesus comes up on the scene and he goes, Hey, hey, Philip, where are we going to get food for all these guys? And Jesus said this in order to test him. Test him. Do you believe that God still tests his children? I just want to tell you the answer to that is in the affirmative. God still puts us to test. He tests him for he himself knew. Of course he did. Jesus knew what he would do. Now here's his answer. <laughs> the, the right answer would be, oh Lord, I have no idea, but you're in here. You're in charge. Hallelujah. You'll just take care of it. That's the right answer. But how many of us get the right answer the first time all the time? Not many. So Philip, he goes into this analytical, mathematical equation in his mind, and he goes, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Now, denarii is a wage of a common day laborer. So this is about an eight months of labor, of work for a common labor, 200 denarii. By the way, that is a significant amount of money. And Philip is doing the computation in his mind, and that's where I disagree with Morgan at this point, because I think Philip's pretty bright at this point, and he's figuring it out mathematically, and he goes, oh, wait a minute. I tell you, a guy could work eight months, Jesus, and we still would not have enough money. Can y'all feel Philip here at this moment? He's getting nervous. And he's on one level, Jesus is on another level, and Jesus is just watching him squirm. <laughs> Jesus is just watching him just kind of just figure this out in his mind, rolling over the numbers and the data, the empiricism in his mind. And there's not enough that every one of them may have a little. And so in this text we read that Jesus, out of all the apostles, he tests Philip because he's, he's working on Philip, okay? Remember, it was Andrew who found the boy with the loaves and the fish. And, and Andrew, he, he just said, Lord, here's what we got. And knowing you, this is enough. And Andrew, ding, 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 ding. He gets the green light, you know, he gets the answer. But Philip gets the, bonk, the gong, bum, 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 bum. Y'all ever watched, um, what's that show? The Price is Right. Y'all ever heard that? Bum, 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 bum. That's, that's when you mess up, all right? And Philip gets a lot of the gong, gong. But Jesus is patient, and Jesus is working with him. Hey, by the way, there are going to be people that God's going to bring into your path, maybe even this week, and you're going to exercise, you're going to have to exercise an incredible amount of patience with them. You say, oh, I was afraid you were going to say that, because i got this nitwit colleague in my office, and I tell you, he just absolutely to get on my nerve. You know, I, I, there, there's people like that that get on your last nerve. And I heard somebody ask the question the other day on the radio. He goes, 
Let me ask you something. The person that gets on your nerves, when's the last time you prayed for them? Because if you're praying for somebody, it's really hard to be upset with somebody while you're simultaneously, oh, I'm preaching, let me, let me stop. We're going to preach later. We're just going to do our study right here. Number three, John 12, 20 through 26. Oh, I love this text. You say, this is a text with Philip. Yep. Now there were certain Greeks. Now Philip is a Greek name, lover of what animal? Horses. Good, good, good. Ding, 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 ding. You got it. You got it. Lover of horses. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip. <laughs> he, just, he just seems to be there, y'all. He just seems to show up. And they, who was from Bethsaida that we noticed of Galilee. And they asked Philip and they said, Sir, we wish to... Now hold on just a second. You see that word see? That's an interesting word. That word, a good translation of the word, we want to see Jesus, is we want to interview him. Okay? We want to get to know him. One writer I read said that the context is Jesus has turned over the money changers. Jesus has taken a whip and he's driven out the, the really the, the folks who are in the house of God and they've got this mercenary spirit making money. And remember Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves. My house is to be called a house of what? A prayer. And so Jesus has cleaned house, and those Greeks are like, man, I'm impressed with him. I want to interview him. I want to get to know him because this is the kind of guy that, that, that could be very, very popular. All right, now let's watch what happens. So Philip, <laughs> he did not answer the Greeks. He went and got help. And G. Campbell Morgan said, you see there, he just, he just wasn't really smart. He should have just turned around and said, what do you want to know about Jesus? I can help you. I'm one of Jesus' followers. Let me explain to you. He didn't do that. He went and got Andrew. <laughs> and by the way, whenever you meet Andrew in the Bible, Andrew's always telling somebody about Jesus. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. What a wonderful way to be known that every time you see that guy, he's introducing some other person to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing. All right, so they went and told Andrew, and Philip and Andrew both told Jesus. Then Jesus answered them, and he said, now watch this, it's genius, absolutely brilliant. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, in Greek, amen, verily, verily. Can I put my translation on it? Hey, guys, listen up. I'm about to tell you something really, really important. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my Father, will honor. And Jesus takes this moment when CNN shows up at his doorstep and, and they want to do this big interview so that the Greeks can know him and he can become their popular friend and Jesus can just, watch this, Jesus can just take another whole life all of its own. He can be popular. He can be popular among the Greeks because he's so wise and he's incredibly smart. And so here's this temptation for Jesus to kind of take a divert path. And Jesus, all of a sudden, he recognizes and he goes, wait a minute, we're not going to be talking to the Greeks, guys. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to go to the cross and die because that is God's plan for my life. Years ago, I was um, arguing is a strong word because if it was an argument, I definitely lost. There's this large biker dude in Fort Worth, Texas. I was, I was pretty young, pretty, pretty, uh, I had a whole lot of knowledge, just not a whole lot of zeal. And, and I went, and some, one of the biker guys in our church who was saved out of that culture said, I want you to go witness to my, my biker leader. And I thought, well, how hard could that be? Well, they didn't tell me this guy was a genius. And I, re- I realized that when I walked into his room and I no- noticed the stacks of books and he was asking me about all these books, have you read any of these books? I was like, no. You read this one? No. Well, surely you've read this one, preacher. No. He says, you ought to read the Brothers Karamazov because it has the greatest argument against the validity of Christianity. I said, brother who? They said, Fyodor Dostoevsky's the Brothers Karamazov. And he basically was like, don't, don't argue with me until you've read that book, and then I will argue with you. So guess what book I went and got? And I read it and devoured it, and it's about this thick. Have you, anybody read it? I'm just, just curious. Some of you have read it. Okay, it's that thick. Are you, are you with me? The Brothers Karamazov, Fyodor, the Russian author, many people believe that he has presented the greatest argument against the validity of Christianity. And I read it, and I came out just the absolute opposite. I thought it was a brilliant, well-written literary piece, but instead of dismantling Christianity, it it actually helped me in my Christianity because it all dealt with theodicy. And the whole story revolves around the brothers. The whole story revolves around this amazing plot where how can a good God allow such horrible things to happen in a person's life? And so I was at, books, at Barnes & Noble's the other... Oh, by the way, mercy. Don't let me go there, y'all, please. Don't, don't just stop, stop me. Say, do not enter. Because I went in and Ashley just wanted... All she wanted was one book. And here I come out with 15 pounds of books. It's not smart. And I'm looking at Barnes & Noble's and there's the Brothers Karamazov. And I'm like, I'm going to test my memory of 20 years ago. And I want to see, because I remember there was a verse from the Bible that had on one page, one large page, it had one verse, and then when you turn the page, you begin the Brothers Karamazov. I said, I, I remember what that verse was, but I'm just going to test my memory. It's John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat, that's what Theodore Dostoevsky wrote in the beginning of his great novel that's supposed to disprove Christianity, but I believe it actually proves it. said, unless a grain of wheat will die... Unless it dies in the ground, there is no way that it can reap a harvest. And all this teaching pedagogy moment was on behalf of Philip and Andrew because they were just trying to say, Jesus, there's some guys that want to meet you. There's some Greeks, man, just think you're really cool. And, and they, got some, they got some ideas they want to talk to you about. And Jesus says, no, no. That's not why I come. Remember, it's kind of like the temptation narratives when the devil was like, oh, just do this, just worship me, or just turn this bread into stone, or just jump off of this temple, because if you do those things, then everybody will think you're absolutely amazing, and you'll never have to go to the cross. But Jesus said, absolutely not. Unless I die, there's no eternal life for the entire world, so I must die. And he died. Aren't you glad that he died? Aren't you glad he arose from the dead? Hey, let me tell you something. If he didn't do that, you wouldn't be here today. Neither would I. Okay, next scripture. Number four. John 14, 7 through 11. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him 
and have seen him. You remember John 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is talking about the Father. Now Philip said to him, (laughs) it's absolutely something that I would say to him. And maybe the other apostles were thinking it. And maybe uh, Philip was like, Peter, don't stick your foot in your mouth. This time I'll do it. John wouldn't even think about asking this question, but Philip says, let let me ask it. So, Lord, you're talking about the Father, the Father, the Father. Why don't you show us the Father? And that would be okay, sufficient for us. And now Jesus is about to rebuke him, right? Because Jesus has been walking with these guys, talking to these guys for about three years now, and he looks at Philip, and I believe Jesus is a little frustrated with him and says, Philip, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you know? Ooh, this is pretty strong. It's pretty stout. He looks at Philip. He says, don't you believe? Hey, Philip, don't you even believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, Philip, you listening? I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father, He dwells in me. He does the works. And believe me that I, Philip, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, this last statement is a boom. It's a punch. It's a verbal, theological, slam the hammer down on the nail when he says, or just believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Imagine Philip goes, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, you know. Something about Jesus. He, Jesus is amazing. And if you're going to be dull like me and, and stiff-necked and hard-headed sometimes, Jesus just might rebuke you to get his point across to you. Okay, that's our Bible study. Is everybody doing okay? If you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. All right, good. What about those who are, are not happy? Well, y'all just be quiet. Don't, don't say nothing. All right, because we're going to go to these lessons learned from the life of Philip. I know we only got about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes left, but let me go through these quickly. There are five of them, and I want you to hear, just maybe the Lord just speak to you through these points of application. If you have your little, your little insert here in your worship bulletin, we have these printed out for you. You can jot these down. <clears throat> who knows, one day you may be You may be pastoring a church, you may be teaching a Bible study, and you're going to do a study on the life of Christ, how he shared with people. I taught this at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for six months as a professor. I'm basically giving y'all the notes that I gave to future pastors and missionaries. You say, well, why are you doing that? We're not pastors and missionaries. Why are you giving us all of this stuff? Hey, listen, guys, I want you to be trained. I want you to be ready. When you go out in the marketplace, I want your your knife to be sharp. I want you to be ready to engage in dialogue and listen well and speak well the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why I'm sharing all this with you. All right, lessons learned from Philip. Number one, God calls, you can write it in there, all types of people to follow him. God calls all types, stripes, colors, you name it. God calls all types of people to follow him. 
And I can't go as far as G. Campbell Morgan and say, Philip was just really unimpressive. He was just not that smart. I, I, I don't know that. But I will say he's not a John. He's not a John Calvin. He's not a C.S. Lewis. He may not be a George Whitfield or Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He may just be more common, sticks his foot in his mouth every now and then like his good friend Peter. He, he may be one of those guys you just, you just have to... You may just have to tell him a time or two. You may have to rebuke him gently to get his attention. Aren't you glad that God calls all kinds of people? I'm very glad about it. I don't know if y'all re resemble this or not, but I'm really appreciative that God doesn't just call the Johns of the world, the brilliant people of the world, or the Peters of the world, the great bold people of the world, but I'm very glad that God calls the Phillips of this world because I resonate with him because I'm like him. I can think on one level when God is calling me to think upon another level. God calls all types of people. Number two, Jesus is enough. <laughs> He's enough. Philip was looking at the scenario strictly from a human standpoint on two occasions. One is when there was not enough denarii, there was not enough money they could gather to buy food for all of these people. And Philip is looking just at the conscious, literal level. And then he does it again when he's looking at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus and he's going, yeah, you're amazing and all, but why don't you show us the Father? Hey, why don't you show us Him? That would be cool. You talk a lot about Him. Why, why don't you kind of pull back the clouds? You think maybe Jesus, you could show us the Father? And, and Jesus, I, I think He just kind of had enough. He says, Philip, listen to me. When you look at me, <laughs> you see all that you need to see because I have come out of the very bosom of the Father. Now, we're getting into some deep Trinitarian doctrine here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul said in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus Christ is the express image of Almighty God. When you look at Him, you're looking at the Father. And, 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 and Peter, he's like, I mean, Philip's like, oh, okay. In other words, I'm enough. Jesus is enough to satisfy your spiritual longing Jesus is enough to satisfy your academic longing. Jesus is enough to fulfill all the desires of your heart. Let me just say it like this. Jesus is enough. Enough. Number three, God still tests His children. He still does. John 6, 6, Jesus clearly tests Philip. And I believe God still tests us today. He puts us in situations or allows us to be in situations to see. I was tested this week. It was an interesting test. And I was, I was wondering, are you going to say something? Or are you just going to let this go? And it was not a good situation. Have you ever been in those situations where your heart starts beating fast and you're like, I really need to say something. Because if I don't say something, then Jesus' name will continue to be blasphemed. And so I did. And I'm glad I did. Was it risky? Yes, it was risky. Will God call you to do something, to say something, 
Will he put you on the stand? Will you testify for him? Will you pass the test? I hope you do. By the way, I don't always pass the test. I wish I could bat a thousand. I wish I could make an A-plus on every test. I don't. But aren't you glad? I want to tell you something I am. That God is very patient. God is very kind. And here's what God tells us. If you fail your test, God says, Hey, listen, let's, let's regroup and let's do better next time. The devil says, You're a worthless idiot. How could you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, my word, you all just turn in your Bible, turn in your credentials, and you just need to walk away from all of that stuff because you're just a nitwit nobody dummy. Hey, man, tell you something. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. The Bible says he seeks to kill you, steal from you, and destroy your life. You know when the Bible's talking, when they, you know when the devil's talking because the Bible says he speaks lies. So don't listen to him. Hear the voice of the Spirit say, yes, I'm testing you because I love you and I want to raise you up to be the man or the woman of God that I want you to be. You fail the test. Okay, let's do better next time. Hallelujah. What an awesome God. God of forgiveness. A God of a second chance. Can anybody say a God of a third, fourth, fifth, a mid chance? Next thing I want to share with you, and I'm almost done, is introduce others to Jesus. Philip does this. He goes and he evangelizes Nathaniel. I know he doesn't give this great apologetic or this great systematic theological definition of Jesus. He just says, uh, I don't know, come see, you know. But good for him. Good for him. The Greeks, we want to see him. Well, come on, I'll introduce you. What if somebody comes up to you this week and says, I want to know Jesus. Or I at least want to know what you believe to be true about him. By the way, don't discount that in Austin, Texas. Because they may be genuinely wanting to know what you think, or they may genuinely be wanting to engage you in a debate. What are you going to do? Introduce others. To Jesus. Speak to them. Share with them. What time is it? And I, I pray that God would raise up a host of Great Hills Baptist Church members who will be so bold to say His name, to say, I'm not ashamed of Him. Let me invite you to Christ. Let, let me invite you to my church. Wally Tessner is a name you, you probably don't know. You probably would never know unless I shared it with you that another state, another time. Wally was on staff at uh, Green Pines Baptist Church. I was interim pastor there for uh, about a year. But they would tell me, they were like, uh, Pastor, you don't, you don't know Wally because Wally's gone to be with heaven, gone to heaven to be with Jesus. But let, let me just tell you the kind of guy he was. Wally was that guy. <laughs> he was that guy that would boldly speak the name of Jesus. And he would be so bold that he would be almost at the point of pestering you. So Brian Tilly, actually, I know you, you remember Brian and Pam? Brian and Pam Tilly at Green Pines. Brian's dad died, and Wally preached Brian's dad's funeral sermon. And while Brian came to church, he let people know that that was my dad. He ended up giving somebody his address. Well, next thing you know, Wally's knocking on his door. 
And Brian said, that guy just about drove me crazy. He, he knocked on my door and he would tell me about Jesus. And he'd say, do you want to see your dad again? Well, yes, I want to see my dad again. Well, turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. And he goes, no, I don't want to do that. So finally, another night goes by and, and Brian says, I was sitting there, no shirt, in my shorts, tattoos all over my body, hair down to my backside. I was pretty well lit and some crazed guy was knocking on my door again. And it was Wally. And he's like, oh, my word, what? you know. So he, he said, Wally, what, what do you want, man? What do you want this time? Wally says, I want you to give your life to Christ. Well, I'm not in really a good place to give my life to Christ right now. But Wally said, today, right now, tonight, Brian, <laughs> Brian said, I will. He said, I will repent of my sins. And I will place my faith in Jesus Christ because this weed and this alcohol and this lifestyle that I'm living, it gives me some pleasure, Pastor Wally, but it sure doesn't give me any joy. So he gave his life to Christ. Fast forward, and when I meet Brian, still a little rough around the edges, and God is chiseling him and making him to be the kind of man that God wants him to be. Well, the last I heard of Brian, guess who led a mission trip to Bangladesh out of the Green Pines Baptist Church? It was that guy. It was Brian Tilly. Number five, last thing. Who is your Brian? Who is your Philip? Who is your Tom? Who is your Linda? Who is your person at the gym? Who is your one this week? That you will say, God, I'm, I'm available, I'm open. Lord, I'll give them a card, I'll give them an invitation, I will just ask them if I can pray with them. Lord, Help me be creative if I need to be creative. Help me, Lord, to answer the way I need to answer. Lord, if I need to shut up, help me shut up. Help me do whatever you want me to do. But God, please don't let me miss her. Don't let me miss him. Because, Lord, I'm convinced that you love people and you want to love people through me. So here I am, Lord. Show me my one. Are y'all up for that? Man, I'm up for it. I'm, I'm excited about it. I have no idea who God is going to bring in our path this week. But here's something I want to say to you, and I'm going to wrap my, my message up. Great Hills Baptist Church has gone through a, a real strenuous metamorphosis discipline time of training so that when you do bring her, we're ready to receive her. Okay? It has been disciplined. It has been strenuous. Because there were times when guests would come to our church and we wouldn't talk to them. We would just talk to one another. But now through some, some real training, thank you, Ross Hartsfield. God bless your heart. Thank you, Artistry Labs. Bless y'all's hearts. We are, we're really getting prepared for the people because we really believe God brings people to us just so that we might be able to minister to them and love them and talk to them and introduce them to Christ. So I, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there's a lot of aesthetic. There's a lot of verbal. There's a lot of things going on so that when you bring your guest, they will have an opportunity, A, to hear about Jesus, and B, they will have somebody who will meet them and demonstrate some interest in them. Lord God, I know that this week there are going to be people that you're going to put in our paths. And Lord, I'm just praying for Great Hills Baptist Church and their pastor included. Lord, we would be ready to meet them, greet them, 
Love them enough, God, to share the truth of the gospel with them. Love them, Lord, even enough to say, hey, why don't you come to my church? I, I want to invite you to my church. Not a perfect church, but it's a church that preaches the Bible, that loves Jesus, and we will love you. We will help you grow in your relationship. God, I pray this week that, Lord, our very people would do that. And, Lord, I pray when they come, when the guests come, and thank you for letting them come, that, Lord, we do everything in our power to reach them with the gospel. Lord, we're already going to heaven. We want them to go to heaven, too. So continue, Lord, to do this work of grace, this work of discipline in our church so that we're ready, Lord, and we're willing, and we're doing everything that we can for the one so that we can help her meet Christ. Your head's bowed, your eyes are closed, and perhaps you're a first-time guest today, or maybe you've visited Great Hills many times. Maybe you would say today, y'all need to quit looking. I'm the person. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the reason y'all are doing all of this, and it's me. And I need Christ. I need Christ in, in my life. Well, let me just tell you something, friend, with, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You are the one. And we would invite you right now to say yes to Christ. You may be like Brian Tilly, and you may say, this is enough. I've tried this, I've slept with this, I've tasted this, I've smoked that, I've inhaled that, and I've drunk that, and I'm telling you this. It don't make me any happier. It doesn't make me any more joyful. So I'm, I'm willing to try Christ. Let me invite you to do this. Say, Christ, I believe. Forgive me of my sins and I give you my life. Would you do that today? Oh, hallelujah, do that today. And let us be your church home that will nurture you, encourage you, strengthen you in your walk with Him. Maybe you're here today, and your next step as a Christian, you're already saved. You may need to do what these two precious souls did today and go public with your faith. Woo, let me tell you. When they ask them that question, what is your decision? And they said, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. And say, I tell you, I just about got Baptocostal on you, church family. I'm telling you, I got excited because that is a soul. It's walked out of darkness and they've walked into the light. Does that still excite you? Do you realize that that's why we have church? Do you? Do you realize... That's why God has kept our doors open so that we can see people saved, baptized, and discipled. Maybe you're that person. You'd say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be in the Discover Great Hills class. I want, I want to be under your teaching. I want to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Hallelujah. Come on in. We're glad to have you. So, God, thank you for our time today. Thank you for letting us study your word. Thank you, God, for the people that are listening. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts that are open, that are, that are saying, I am here and I want to meet God. I want to know God. God, just reveal yourself to them. And, Lord, we pray that even now during this invitation, that, God, as we stand to our feet publicly, unashamedly, and I say, come, come to Christ, that, Lord, there be a movement of your Holy Spirit. God, help us not to quench you. God, please eradicate those thoughts, those evil, judgmental thoughts, and help us to be open to the Spirit of God. Help us to be willing to receive people. Help us to be willing to change. Help us to be willing to do everything in our power for the one could be saved. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. God bless you as you stand.
We're going to sing a song of praise to the Lord. I'm inviting you to come. You may just want to come kneel at this altar. Let us pray with you. you may want to give your life to Christ. Hallelujah. Maybe a Philip in the house that you're ready to surrender your life to the Lord. Why don't you come? Even now. God bless you as you come.